Welcome back to the Feature Brain podcast. It's Max and Mike again, and we had a couple, a bit, a couple of weeks of break because we were both sick. Uh, I have Corona actually now, but I'm feeling quite well. Um, but how are you doing, Mike? Yeah, suboptimal could be better, but yeah, hopefully we get back to regular rhythm now. Yes, I'm sure we will. It's good to see you again. Good to see your face. Good to see your back in the mood again and uh, i think yeah we have a couple of uh, probably very interesting topics but um first of all how's been uh, how's your week been going four days already in the happening i heard yesterday i learned that apparently the wednesday is called hump day which i didn't know before did you know never never heard about that for me wednesday is wednesday <laughs> yes I, I i just heard it from a colleague that apparently wednesday is a hump day there's like an advertisement about it where a camel is walking to office and basically screaming at everyone that it's hump day and what does it mean uh i don't know actually it's uh, i just saw the advertisement i thought it was quite funny so uh, i can definitely recommend it it's basically a, a camel walking very excited through an office and screaming at everyone apparently the so Wednesday, regarded as the midpoint of a typical working week, it's hump day and perhaps the toughest day of the week for you. The middle of the working week. I don't, I don't agree that Wednesday is the toughest day of the week. I think usually my Wednesdays are pretty good. I agree. I agree. I, uh, I, I don't like to say that any day is bad or good anyways. I don't like that kind of uh, metaphor, but I, <laughs> it was hump day. Week. I do have to say that Mondays are usually rough, not necessarily because I like, for many people, Mondays are rough because they don't like their jobs. In my case, like I just have like usually lots of meetings on Monday. And then my email inbox is just getting flooded because everyone who doesn't work on weekends or like who signed off like late on Friday is just like spamming all like the emails that they need to spam out. So like Mondays are just so rough when it comes to my email inbox. So which I which is why I like Mondays a bit less than other days of the week, because I feel that I get so much like external pressure to like do things quickly so yeah usually like the, the the work week is getting better because i get more stuff done but that's mostly mostly based on like number of emails i would say yeah yeah, yeah i can fully agree monday is also always the toughest um friday is weird i don't usually have lots of meetings on friday um but still there are lots of kind of very spontaneous tasks coming up that somehow need to get resolved right before the weekend because it's customer relevant, user relevant, whatever. Um, so that's like they, you have these two ends on the week that um, that are very interesting. But uh, let's let's call it the hump day at least uh, for for Wednesday. I think that's a good solid point as a first. If you want to do that, Max, you can you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> Perfect. No, but how was your week actually? It was fine. Like we get some couple of important projects done. I'm dealing with some administrative private life tasks that I have to sort out. Like I need to switch health insurances. I need to find a health insurance in the US. And yeah, both of that, like very annoying, extremely complex for no real reason. So yeah, that's, that's just a bit frustrating because I always think, well, now I've made some progress, but then there's some additional factor that they have somewhere in the fine print that changes it all. So yeah, that's on the, on the private life organizing side. And then with work, like we, we actually had a fairly good week, made some strategic progress in a couple of areas. So yeah, fairly happy. And now we finally record again. So happy about that as well. Yes. 
How do you, because I, um, I'm in the midst of kind of already, I'm almost done actually of planning Q2 and setting the goals for Q2 with the team and, and basically setting everyone up to be successful in the next quarter. Is that something that you, like, how do you structure it in your team? Is that something that you do at the end of each quarter or do you have a different setting and do you have OKRs? Like, how does it kind of look like? Yeah, we used OKRs for a bit, but we are not using them anymore. And we also have much shorter timeframes right now. So we don't really plan in quarters. We usually plan from... Uh, like, days. <laughs> yeah, but like we, we usually have action plans. So like currently, I think the current action plan ends in seven days. And then we define one for the next like three or four weeks. And then we have a lot of things that we want to accomplish, accomplish systems we want to build, tasks we want to complete. And like, just try to reach all the deadlines, but planning for more than a couple of weeks is usually very difficult if you are in our stage, just because things move extremely quickly. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with being a fintech or not really? No, I, I think it's mostly just stage related. Sometimes your industry can definitely impact your planning ability, because if you're, let's say you're pre-product fintech, then there's usually a bit more planning that you can do in the longer term because you just know you need to hit these specific things. You need to comply with these specific parts of regulation. So you can plan out how that can look like. But I think usually it's just the, the bigger a company gets, the more planning ahead they can do or need to do because they have more historical data. And then also just because everything moves much slower because you have, you have more stakeholders involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it seems like you're kind of doing some sort of sprint, right? So that you do for like a specific period of time. Um, yeah, I'm always very fascinated by kind of the way companies operate uh, in a way. I actually read like, maybe that's interesting. I um, There's an, um, a very good article by the former CPO of Tinder. Um, and he's now working at Reforge. And, and he basically is talking about a different alternative to OKRs, which he calls narratives, commitments, and tasks. It's very similar in a sense. I think the biggest difference for me is that there's kind of a different structure to the commitments, which are the key results of the OKRs. But I, I really like the idea of a narrative. So basically, instead of just saying what your objective is, you talk about a narrative. So describing the customer's user problem, and then describing why you actually need to solve that problem at this point in time and not later in the year, for example. And then you have certain commitments that you want to make in order to hit that specific narrative. And 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 oftentimes what I've seen with objectives is that they're quite either very specific, which can be nice, or they're very broad that nobody understands them. And if you just read the, the, the objective, you don't really get a sense of what the, the team is actually working on. And I feel like a narrative gives, gives much more context about a specific need or a problem that you want to solve as part of the business. So I, maybe I can share that in the show notes. Um, you will find it if you just type narrative commitments, tasks, I'm pretty sure it will be everywhere. It's something that has helped me a, li a lot with structuring in the, in the past couple of weeks. Nice. Yeah. Um, structuring is a good point because didn't you want to talk about how you structure your day? Yeah, a little bit. Let's uh, like talking about kind of energy management was something that I, I noted down since I was quite curious about it. Um, maybe can you can you explain maybe a bit kind of how 
you structure your day in terms of energy management, not just about kind of what you do, but also how you dedicate certain areas or certain time frames within your day where you're maybe more analytical, more productive, more collaborative. So how do you kind of think about energy management as a whole and how do you apply it on a day-to-day basis? If at all. <laughs> it must be hard if you work with David. <laughs> David is so energetic all day. David is a menace <laughs> uh, in the best possible way. So... Happy belated birthday, by the way. I just sent him a WhatsApp a couple of minutes ago. He had, he had his birthday, no? I'll tell him. He, he isn't that active on WhatsApp, so he might get an answer in a couple of weeks. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, without uh, without wanting to bash my co-founder even further, I think the like energy management has a couple of different levels to me. Like One, it just depends on what state I'm currently in. For example, as we talked about earlier, like I was just sick, right? And then energy management works very differently compared to when I'm healthy and able to perform. So I think when I'm sick, it's mostly about regenerating, trying to get the most important tasks for work done, not trying to be a blocker, and but really prioritizing even more than you would usually prioritize because you can't get the same number of tasks done, just isn't possible and also not healthy, right? So I think the, then it changes a lot, but in the normal times, I have a very strict pattern. First of all, I'm not a morning person, so I can't make important decisions in the morning. I can't be super creative in the morning, just doesn't work. So what I usually do is put meetings into the morning where I need to be present. I need to listen. I need to like sometimes also make decisions, but it's it's not, I, I don't have to be at like the my peak. Right. And then the longer the day goes on, usually the better I get at almost everything, whether it comes to like getting tasks done, whether it comes to making smart decisions. And so I, I sometimes have these like high energy productivity bursts late at night. So I think the, the most productive time I just had to like cluster my like 24 hours of a day into specific time frames. I think the 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 most creative, like genius time I usually have is like between like 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. or something like that. That's where I usually get most of my like real like peak level energy bursts. And I can't really force them. They sometimes just come. But that's how we ended up with like building our first business. That's how like I made some of the most important like, strategic decisions, not necessarily like all around in this time frame, but mostly, mostly there. And then other things for energy management that I do, I like to work out and that's one of the major coping mechanisms that I have. And it's also like a good energy mechanism in two ways. One, it relieves you from stress, which is very helpful for your long-term health and long-term productivity. And the other one is also, it, it helps me to just calm down at the end of the day. So I usually always work out later in the day. Sometimes I do it as a break. So I work for a couple of hours then I do like a workout in the middle of the day as a break, and then I continue working. And sometimes I just do it at the end of my day before I go home. So, but workouts are usually one of the most important things for energy management. I also like to meditate. I have been a bit lazy with that lately, but yeah, regular meditation usually helps my energy management as well. And but yeah, I don't have like super specific structures. This is when I do emails. This is when I do meetings. I, I try to keep at least one day of my week as meeting free as possible so that I can do focus work, which is very helpful. 
And then many of the things I do for energy management are rather about optimizing processes. And I think the, the main thing for me is just not force me to make any important decisions in the morning. And otherwise, otherwise I'm, I'm fairly, I'm fairly good. So how many white spots do you keep on a day? Because I, I just heard about like a, a person talking about the JP Morgan Chase executive basically having certain dedicated white spots during a day, even as a CEO of JP Morgan, where he basically has time to think and, and, and tackle things spontaneously if needed. Is that something that you do on purpose or not at this point in time? Oh, I definitely do it. I, I call it I call it focus blocks and I actually put it on my calendar so that nothing else can be put in there. So I definitely have them. And then I have this one day where I try to have like as few meetings as possible, but I'm really bad at actually making that happen. So like someone always books a meeting in or we have to do our podcast, literally the day without the meetings is today for me. And you see, I'm sitting here recording a podcast right now. So I think I definitely have to get better at it. And then one thing that I don't know where I read it, I think it was probably in like Tools of Titans, if I remember correctly, the like, energy review it might have also been ceo within i'm not 100 certain about like that you do like an energy management review every now and then and look at which tasks give you energy and which tasks drain energy from you and it's usually fairly clear for me when i can work on actual business tasks when i can work on things that are related to the business itself then i usually derive energy from it when i have to work on administrative tasks filling out forms dealing with like rules, regulations, these kinds of things, like the very detailed work that doesn't necessarily make sense based on first principles, but someone just decided that this is the thing to do, that usually drains energy from me. So I try to factor that in as well. What about you? Hmm. How are you structuring your day? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely eating pizza once a week is quite important, I think. That's um, <laughs> fine. Um, to not forget that one. I'm invited. I'm invited to the supposedly best pizza place in New York on the weekend. So I'll report. I'll report next week whether that was true or not. Please. What's the name of it? Uh, I think it's called Roberta's. But I'm. Yeah, I think it's Roberta's. It's in Brooklyn. No idea whether that's true, right? I haven't lived here long, but that was the promise that I was given um, for, for for this one. So I'll I'll tell you next week what I think. I, I expect a lot. Yeah, please. We you have to you have to update all of it. Um, I'm, I can already imagine we have a guest on the show next week, and you the first thing you talk about is the pizza at Roberta's. Uh, Roberta's. That's pretty pretty helpful, I think. Um, no, so pizza, of course, most important. I think the, the 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 second important thing that I learned actually in the last couple of months. Usually, what I've done is I basically just defined focus slots as you do. So between eight a.m. in the morning, which is not your time, and twelve. I basically have a focus slot where you need to kind of persuade me in order to get a meeting in there. Um, so basically I have that time where I can think and, and think about all the problems or issues that I want to solve. Um, and then I kind of realized actually that that's just one part of the ideal solution, uh, which I learned from, from a guy named Christian Prenskin, a pretty, pretty interesting guy. He's actually going to write a book uh, pretty soon or he's going to publish it about productivity, basically. Um, and he's based in Germany. What he said is not just about defining your focus slots, but also about defining your, like, which kind of tasks need which level of vigilance. So there are certain tasks that, like, for example, very analytical tasks that you actually need to be very awake for that. Whereas if you are more in collaborative state, you don't need a lot of 
vigilance for these ones. So that's something that I've been kind of looking into a bit more and trying to separate which are the tasks that are more analytical and how can I batch them a bit and which are the ones that are more collaborative. So what I do now is I have these focus work times and I try to, the first thing I do usually in the morning, it's not always the same, is to to basically work on some more thought like thinking processes. I want to think to like user journeys, user flows, things that are important for the user, bigger problems in a product that we need to solve. And then later in the morning, I look at more analytical decisions. And I, I really like that also looking at analytics as, as kind of part of summaries, for example, that a data science team provides. And then in the afternoon, I have lots of collaborative sessions with like other people in the company. Um, and that's been working quite well. I think I haven't found the perfect ideal version of it yet, but at least thinking about which kind of tasks require which kind of vigilance and then how do you define your focus thoughts? That's something that I've learned now in the last couple of weeks, which has been really great uh, months actually. Yeah. yeah, so basically we have the opposite approach when it comes to which time of the day we do which things, right? So I want to get the meetings done in the morning, just make sure that I have all of them finished and then I can focus on the on my own tasks later in the day and you do it the opposite way. I think two other things that are really important when it comes to energy management, especially once you get more advanced in your career, you have people that work for you, right? So you don't need to do everything on your own anymore. And that's a very weird switch. And people talk about like the switch from being like a contributor to a manager a lot, but it's even like beyond that, right? Sometimes it's like you are a founder and you technically you're a manager, but not really, right? You're just the founder of the company of other people like working for you. Maybe a freelance is contributing. Maybe you, have, you work with other external agencies, but basically the whole idea of trying to focus more and more of your time on the things that you are uniquely good at or you're uniquely suited to solve and trying to delegate more of the other tasks away, whether it is, giving it to someone else on the team who's a better fit or sometimes actually creating a position and hiring for it. So I can give you an example. And that's that's more of a strategic level decision that we made on a company level, but also for me personally. So as I said, like usually when it comes to rules, regulation, reading a hundred, like a hundred pages for like a legal opinion, just to figure out whether we can do a specific twist for our product, that just drains a lot of energy for me. It's just something that I don't, enjoy i'm not super good at i can do it if i focus but it's just something that drains a lot of energy for me and what we've done is like even though we were still like like fairly small company then we hired a gen like an internal general counsel so a lawyer who is dealing with all of the regulatory and like legal sides of the business and that was one of the best decisions we ever made first of all because he's like an awesome dude and he's just like a great addition to the team but also because i now use 5% of the time that I had to allocate earlier to this specific area on actual legal tasks, which is like great for me, my productivity, my mental health, and then also my overall enjoyment at like doing work. So this was one of the decisions that isn't like, wasn't only great for the company because we got more knowledge. We got, we, we could move much, much faster because obviously he understands everything much, much quicker. He can, break it down and explain it to us. And we just have to make decisions. But it also improved my own way of thinking about work at my company, just because I can now focus on things that I'm more uniquely suited to and that I'm just way better at and that bring me more joy. And that's, that's one of the things that I think 
Sometimes you can just hire the right people. Sometimes you need to reshuffle who is working on what. Sometimes you just have to like go through it, right? There's no way around it. But I think the more like the, the more you advance in your career, the more resources you have at your disposal. And that's a, an interesting change, especially for people who have always been solo contributors and are now switching into positions where they have a budget or where they have a team, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate to that. I mean, um, I think who says it? Peter Drucker said, I think that the kind of success of you as an individual depends on how well you can delegate tasks to other people. And if you are bad at kind of delegating the right things to the right people, your work will suffer much, much more. And in so many ways, right? You've said that actually your kind of mental health kind of can even suffer if you work on the, on the, on the wrong tasks, if you're actually not good at it and don't have fun doing them for too long, you might be suffering on working on the, even the tasks that you like, right? And that's kind of a, something that I, that I see as well. Funnily, that's ironically, maybe not, not funnily, it's, it's one of the major sources of founder burnout. Like I talked about that with a couple of investors and then also some of our YC partners. And they said that one of the most common causes of founder burnout is working on topics you hate for too long. And yeah, I, I never thought about it like that before because my mindset was just, I'm a founder. I'm just working through it. I can do everything. And I mean, I could, right? I did things that I didn't know before, but if you do it for too long and your role morphs into something where you do 80% of the work that you actually dislike or are not uniquely good at, then it just takes a toll on you over time. And I can totally see that, right? And the type of task is different for everyone else. Some people love sifting through very, very long regulatory opinions and like coming up with the best way of like interpreting what that specific sentence means and how we can use it. But other people don't like it. Some people really like building a product and thinking about that. Some people like sales, right? But other people suffer if they have to sell a product the whole day. So apparently one of the major forces for founder burnout is just working on tasks you hate or dislike for a very long time without having other tasks that compensate you for it. And that's a very interesting perspective, I think, also when you choose business models to pursue. So for example, if you know that you really, really, really dislike, I don't know, like let, let's just use the regulatory example. Um, if you really, really like dislike regulation even more than I do, potentially, then you probably shouldn't be building like a, like a fintech that is in an unregulated market. But if you, if you love the, like the framing of the regulatory market and you want to like do lobbying and you want to change how the political like system looks at this specific product, then it's great to go into an unregulated or like slightly regulated uh, fintech market. But like, if you, you should probably choose your like ideas or problems, et cetera, a little bit based on what you would be working on. And then also who you would be interacting with on a daily basis, because that's, that's also part of energy management. I'm not sure whether we have mentioned that before, but there are some people who you interact with who give you energy, and there's some other people who drain energy from you, similar to tasks, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, do you have some ex example of people, not specific people, but like groups of people who like give you energy and then groups of people who usually drain energy from you? Whew, that's a good question, actually. Um, um... I, I I kind of like I like people that have a lot of positive enthusiasm and can basically share that with other people. It doesn't always have to be 
um, let's say I don't really like the over exaggeration of enthusiasm. So it's it's really about. I, 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 it's kind of interesting. We talked about this before, I think, right? It's like, a, I would call it like analytical enthusiasm. So if people can prove why they are enthusiastic about certain things and why they believe a certain future should look like something they believe in and what the kind of data is to prove that, then I'm very fascinated by it. You could tell me that you're excited about space and going into space and basically establishing a multi-planetary species. But if you don't really have the data and the fundamentals to break that, to kind of back that up and to describe why you actually want to do it and why it's a, why it's the right thing for, for us humans, then I don't like the enthusiasm that much. So it's really about, I don't know if that's even a term or if I coined it now, but it's like analytical enthusiasm is probably something that fits very well to kind of the people I like. And that can be salespeople. They are salespeople that are very enthusiastic, but somehow analytical and you actually believe what they are saying. In. And then there are like salespeople that are very enthusiastic, but don't have anything to back up their enthusiasm with. And that's really annoying to me. And you have the same in kind of other areas. So you can talk a lot, but if there's like nothing to back that up, then it's, um, then it's, then, then I kind of dislike the behavior a bit. So I think that's like on a high level to which people I kind of get caught on and which people I like to communicate with. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you like what I, I think as like groups of people, I usually don't like interacting with irrational people too much because it just gets very taxing. So if people are like not really thinking about things logically, that, that usually is very taxing for me. And then also I dislike working with people who are not flexible. So people who are very set in their ways and are not willing to change that, even though they might be wrong or there's a better way. So like, for example, like working with bureaucrats too much would probably be very difficult for me just because they have very strict systems of how they do things, which is their job, right? It's just following the very specific processes that are outlaid and never never really changing that and that would be like very difficult and taxing for me but then working with enthusiastic flexible people that's usually great i love working with startup founders usually because they tend to have some sort of enthusiasm and you have a common passion which is also helpful i mean i can i can work with like almost anyone but like specifically startup founders usually bring me a lot of joy and then generally people who are passionate about what they're doing. I like that a lot as well. Um, I also think that I couldn't do like consumer customer support for a long time. So like, just imagine you are like in the customer support for like, I don't know, like delivery hero or like Uber and like someone is always just complaining about like this order didn't come in. Right. And you just always have to be super nice. And even though when they're like, if you have the phone and they're shouting at you, you have to be, Madam, I understand your point, and it's a very valid point. Uh, may I interest you in this solution to this point? And you, you have nothing to do with the actual problem, but you just need to be like super, super nice to everyone. Um, I could totally see you, though. I think next time I have a problem with my phone, I'm just going to call you, and hopefully you can give me some uh, really nice, proper customer support. Um, I believe in that, actually. You could, But I actually think there's one example which is pretty funny. I, I'm not sure if that like podcast is going to be censored or not, but... Um, 
like I heard, I heard there's like you have all these kind of like sex or sex toy shops around the globe, and they of course have a customer support team. And kind of they, I heard a, like a conversation about a founder who's actually building a, a sex toy shop, and and she basically talked about how every Monday morning the customer support team talks about the experiences of the last week and which kind of requests came in on the customer support side, <laughs> and that's just that's just super funny kind of i couldn't i could i i laugh pretty hard because i i kind of i can can imagine which kind of problems they have to face compared to like a telecommunication company probably probably very different ones but maybe maybe equally angry customers or similarly happy yeah maybe maybe <laughs> yes absolutely no but to wrap it up i think at the end um like find ways to empower other people right that's something that you do in product management quite a lot like you don't do all the work yourself. You don't code, you don't design, you don't do the data science, you don't do the analytics. Of course you do. You don't do anything. Basically you just let other people do the work and you have the cool title of product manager. Isn't, isn't that what it's about? Am I, am I confusing that? Uh, may, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I think, I mean, at least I do a lot of analytics. I'm, I'm joking. Like our head of product is probably one of the like best like people I've ever worked with. So I'm now product management is obviously like extremely important, but I just like this meme of like the engineers that were saying, well, the product manager always tells me like, like roughly what to do, but they're not, they're not doing anything on their own, right? They're just like managing the, the product as if it's not like a super like difficult like thing to do. And I'm not talking about our engineers specifically. I'm talking about like Reddit or like Twitter. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a valid point. There are also good examples like Stripe. I think they didn't have a product manager until they were like 200 people, right? So the engineers basically did the PM work, but they are also engineers that don't like to do the product manager work. So they did just want to co focus on coding. And if that's the case, then I think you need some sort of intersection between the business and the product. And I think then it's helpful. Um, yeah, just to... Just because we're like already half an hour in, I, I'm of course, I'm super interested in Mike's favorite gadgets. Um, I mean, I can start off and then you, you, you wrap it off. Um, I actually bought this little thing here. It's a, <laughs> it's a, a glass bottle from uh, a German producer. Wow. A bottle. That's great, Max. Yeah, I know. Right? It's like a, a gadget that you didn't expect, but <laughs> it's actually pretty great. What's your favorite gadget? Okay. Yeah, I don't know whether I can compete with your bottle, but I'll do my best. No, like um, jokes aside. So I think one of the major improvements I made is the headset that I'm wearing right now. I, I always had like really good sounding headsets before. I was a very big proponent of Bose. Then I switched to Sony headphones. But the problem was that they were disconnecting a lot at random instances while I was in calls. Like the sound quality was insane, but it just like every now and then they just disconnected and it was like really, really, really annoying. And it wasn't a problem that I faced and I could fix. Like some of my friends who have the same headphones had the very same problem. So what I did is I actually started using one of my gaming headsets, which has a USB connection to the PC or laptop. And since I switched to this gaming headset that I'm also using for like gaming purposes, not once did I have a problem with my headset. Like it just always works, which is like insane. Uh, so but that's a different one that you're wearing now? Oh yeah, that's 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 my that's my gaming headset. Then I have my my sound headset. Everyone I'm showing like a, a, a different headset which is what I use when I listen to, want to listen to music. And then I have my AirPods when I want like convenience and um, just flexibility. And usually I use my AirPods when I 
go somewhere and I don't want to have like my big headphones hanging around my neck. So yeah, I think definitely having like specific headphones for specific use cases, one of my major improvements that I made over the last couple of weeks and months. Then I bought a microphone stand for my podcast mic, which has definitely been an upgrade because before I always had it on a tripod and then it was in front of me, but it was also blocking my keyboard. So now it's just like hanging in the air right next to me and I can move as freely as I want to. I can put it away. I can reposition it. So like very happy about the, the microphone arm. It's the Rode... Uh, which one is it? Like I, I can put it in the show notes, but like some like very very much very much basically one of the most sold ones, and it's really good. Mm. And then I also have like I got a Christmas present from one of my co-founders, which is a a streaming light, so that whenever I have like important calls or when I want to improve the lighting in here, I have a, a streaming light behind my screen so that I can turn on, and that just changes the overall lighting of the room. And lighting is super important when it comes to image quality. It's the Elgato Key Streamlight. I think that's it. A very good present. I'm very happy with it. Just for the record, uh, he, Mike doesn't have his light on, so that basically describes his full importance for uh, for me right now. I I think this like for now, I just wanted to focus on familiarity and like you showing. Like showing you how I really look like without really <laughs> yeah, right. the the additional lighting effects because with you I can be real Max right I don't have to I don't have to show you the fake the fake version of me the the the, the authentic version is shown to me I see it exactly and then lastly I, I I have blue light filter glasses I don't know if we talked about them before but I like before I had these like cheap ones from Amazon and you actually notice when you wear them because like stuff looks different. But the ones I have now, they filter, I think, like 50 times more blue light. But you see through them as if you were just, like, looking through, like, basically a window. So, like, it doesn't really affect your vision. And that's very helpful for me before I go to bed, just because I can sleep better if I filter out the blue light. Do they look like Pablo Escobar's glasses, or how do you look like them? No, it's literally just, like, fairly normal glasses. Like, not sunglasses, like, just normal glasses. Nice. That's pretty cool gadgets, actually. I want to definitely also have a better lighting system in the future, so I'm definitely going to use your reference for that one. Oh, lighting is a good point. I also bought, um, like, Philips U lighting so that I can dim it from my own phone I, I don't have the full setup here yet but i can I, i'm i can show you i can i can quickly switch but no no alexa right no alexa involved no currently currently no alexa um we, we're thinking about that but yeah the the nice thing is i live with my my co-founder with one of my co-founders here and we have the same system f- with philips use so i always see when there's light in his room so i know that he's awake or that he's there and it's always fun. And no, I think overall, like I actually have more gadgets because I think we talked about that before. Like one of my main goals for this year is making this New York apartment the most comfortable, cozy and productive apartment I've ever been in. And so like a lot of my focus since the beginning of the new year has been on making that happen. And so far, I'm really happy with my setup here. I can I can talk about a couple of additional gadgets uh, in the living room and my room uh, during our next session yeah let's do it we're gonna do a, a bit of a, a gadget session in the next couple of weeks yeah just to make it less uh, i mean i mean all this technology it's pretty boring right so i basically just bought a um like i've always wanted to buy a bottle um uh, which is glass based so and and looks great and there's enough room for enough water in there so basically i bought this thing here 
and it, it, a it looks great you can put it in <laughs> i feel like i'm one of these television uh sellers right like i you can actually put it into the the, uh, the dishwashing machine uh it fits almost a liter which is great it's uh it's really it's really nice it fits into every package and i actually bought this as a because i've i've been driving in so many trains that i had so many points that i uh, collected that i got it for free so it was basically the perfect gadget that i got in the last months that i love it um and I broke it once and I, I sent them a message and said, Hey, I broke it. And they even sent me a new one. So, um, without any additional cost. So basically I'm so happy about the customer service. Who is they? It's a Leonardo, um, Leonardo bottle. So it's quite known in Germany. I think it's like a, I think a family business quite old. They make great products, um, in general. So if you are, I think in all sorts plates, um, they, they are basically focusing on, on different kitchen utensils. So been very happy. I can put it in the show notes. It's, it's a great one. Yeah, put it in the show notes. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I'm sure you have it with. Sounds interesting. But yeah, I think we, we, we talked about energy management. We talked about some cool gadgets. We'll put all of it in the show notes and we will continue talking about gadgets. We had the biggest, cr biggest crack of all episodes. Awesome. Thanks, Mike, for the, for the good chat. It was great. It was awesome. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Cheers.